HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Gustiamo, the online store for Italian ingredients and pantry staples. Learn more at gustiamo.com. Okay. Hello. Hello. Welcome to Life's a Banquet. Hello. Hi. Hi, welcome to Life's a Banquet. This is a podcast. It's a podcast about Ben Affleck, apparently. And I was going to do our normal intro, but why bother? Because, you know, we used to talk about things that were edible, spreadable, and pourable, the highs and the lows of them. But now this is really just dedicated to talking about Ben Affleck's uh, uh, sex life. So welcome to it. Hi. Thanks for having me. Um... Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Thanks for birthing me. Nicole is my real birth mother. (laughs) We are we're recording two episodes at once, so all the Ben Affleck content that we have for this week is on the previous episode, so please go back and check it out. Um, by the time you hear this one, they're probably, Benifer is probably going to be man and wife. Yeah, or they might even have a bunch of like babies that they had through a surrogate. Who knows, and also who cares? Who what cares? I, what I want to talk about, and I've just been waiting, waiting to mention this the whole hour that we recorded our other tea episode, is <laughs> the other thing that we like to talk about on this podcast. That's right, folks, Chet Hanks. <laughs> oh, did something happen with Chetty? Well, no, I think I mentioned this to you when I called you not able to breathe with how funny I thought it was, but uh. I've recently been... <laughs> chatting about chatting chat with my friend with our friend Ryan and uh you know just about how absurd he is and then we like kind of don't steal a skit SNL writers who are listening to this but had kind of (laughs) joked that perhaps the whole Hank's family talks in a Jamaican patois and just you know sits around the dinner table asking each other to pass the peas and butter but in Jamaican patois perhaps even wearing one of those highly inappropriate wigs Who's to say if that's true or not, but it's very funny to think about. Now, yes. uh, after I kind of, you know, came home and thought about how strange it is that Chet Hanks has thought this was appropriate, I jolted out of bed in the morning, remembering <laughs> Modest Yahoo, <laughs> a regular Jewish person from Westchester who became Orthodox Jewish and then became Jamaican. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because he had been floating around in the air because someone at the restaurant was talking about how he came into the restaurant in Indianapolis one time. <laughs> I mean, what do you even do if Matas Yahoo is in the restaurant? Ignore him. How did we 
allow this to happen. And then I like went back and watched some Modest Yahoo videos, which I strongly, strongly urge all of you to do. And I just can't believe it happened. It's truly shocking. <laughs> it is so inappropriate. It's it's draw it's jaw dropping. He was signed to say? a record label. Like someone at the record label listened to it and was like, "This is what we want." I mean, he makes Chad Hanks look like he works for Amnesty International. <laughs> it's just terrible. It's truly terrible. I don't I don't understand how he let this slip through the cracks, but uh it it wasn't there because I also mentioned how funny I thought this was to our friend Mary and she was like I was just talking about modest Yahoo and I was like but why <laughs> and then and she it, said that he was hot and he kind of is a little bit he is that's also the worst part of this all is that he also is not kind of hot he is hot yeah. he's hot and uh, you know a modest Yahoo the point of this is call me because yeah, you know at this point <laughs> I'm just. So sad and alone that I don't even give a shit that you pretend to be uh, Orthodox Jewish Jewish, and then also pretended to be Jamaican. It doesn't matter. You know, do you. Do you. Call me. Call us both. Be our boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Please don't. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to be seen in public with you, but maybe a private, like a secret lover kind of situation. Yeah. I watched this one video recently where he was like singing and this poor man had to sit next to him playing the acoustic guitar. <laughs> I just felt so bad for the man. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, goodness gracious. I don't think he does the patois thing anymore, but I would like to hear a little bit more about why he thought that was okay and why, you know, other people listen to it. I think it's crazy that he's still making music. Like, you just like pivot to like singer songwriter after that, or what? I guess he's now he's not you know Orthodox Jewish anymore either. He's now yeah. just a gray haired guy who's hot who could like <laughs> show up on like some dating app you're on and be like, wow, this guy's like hot, and then you know you find <laughs> out he's fucking mad as Yahoo. <laughs> what an outrage that would be. Uh. Oh my god. Oh god. That's a that's a rom com right there. Am I right? Oh yeah, right there. So what anyway, what's new? Are you guys having a heat wave in Indiana like we are here in New York City? Yeah, it's it's toasty warm here. Um and I don't have central air. I have a vintage window unit and came with my apartment that is so loud that it <laughs> wakes me up every time the compressor comes on. So <laughs> I'm using that. Um, but so I was talking about this, I think a couple episodes ago, about how I, there was like a dog pee smell on my porch and I mm, yes, attributed it to the fact that the people mistreated their dog and didn't really let it go out and it peed all over the porch. So I think that there was some dog pee on the porch, but I like got, I got it cleaned up, but the pee smell was still pretty strong, like in front of the house. And my cousin came over yesterday and she was like, your bush is what smells like pee. And so she quickly snapped a photo of it and put it in this app that she has that identifies plants. And I have bushes planned in front of my house that are called boxwood bushes. And they smell like cat urine. Like that is a thing that they are known for. They well, <laughs> that's just so, the whole thing. First of all, it smells like pee. It's a bush and it's called the box. So yeah. the whole thing, and also just like, 
the kind of comedy of errors that's happened to you at this apartment, I feel bad for you, but it is very funny. <laughs> it's also. Awful. I was just like, I can't believe, because I basically I could smell it. It was It's so strong from these fucking bushes that like when you're standing on the porch um, in the screen and porch, you can smell them from the front. And it's just like, you look it up, boxwood shrubs smell like urine and there's all these articles and they're like, just whatever you do, don't plant them by your front door. And that's exactly where they're planted in my house is right by like, the front door. They could have planted anything. They could have planted fucking lilacs <laughs> or honeysuckles. They're like, nope. <laughs> Put in a piss bush. Your no. cousin just like looks it up. She's like, well, looks like you got a piss bush. Yeah. And I was like <laughs> dying because I had spent so much time like scrubbing that porch and like watering the yard to get the pee smell out. And there was wow. the whole time the bush was just laughing at me. Um, <laughs> so now I have to decide if I want to fucking rip these bushes out and put new bushes in or just like suffer with this well, urine smell. I can't decide what to do. But let's, it's, add, it's, let's start here. How how tall are the bushes? Because I'm thinking like a hedge. Is it a hedge or a small shrub? It's like a it's a bush that comes probably a little over my waist high. So it's a full bush. Yeah, it's, it's a full 70s bush. <laughs> Interesting. Huh. Well, you can trim it. You can trim the bush. Mm-hmm. Do you think if you trim the bush, it will smell worse? Like it'll let out some of the like oils? Uh, I don't know. The internet says basically that you should just don't plant it by your front door. That's all the advice that they have to give you. And I think that the internet in this case has failed me. Um, now, what's the advantage of this bush? If it smells, is it glorious to look at? No, it's just like a green bush. It's like a normal, <laughs> boring, probably affordable green <laughs> fucking bush. I say get rid of that bush. I think I'm going to pull it out. My cousin pull was like, you gotta, she was like, call before you dig because it could have a gas line. And I was like, okay, my love that I have to call before I dig in my rental apartment. What did you say? There's a gas line under the bush, she thinks? She just said that the gas line at her house is right in front of their house. So she said, just to be safe, you're going to shovel that bush Imagine the bush has attached its claws to a gas line. And when you rip up the bush, the gas line comes with it. It just like explodes. My house explodes. <laughs> Not my bush, the gas line says. My bush. <laughs> my, my best friend, piss bush. <laughs> And also, it's like, it's only certain times of the year, I guess, that it smells like piss, but it's like the whole summer, it's going to smell like this. And I'm just, I cannot deal with it. I'm going to, I, I basically drove myself insane trying to get this pee smell out um, wow. and spent like hundreds of dollars on enzyme cleaners. And the whole time, the whole time, <laughs> it was just this fucking <sighs> bad bush. Well, it's you like got three, a bad bush. Three bushes. Yeah. So I'm just going to take them out. My cousin got something that's called mock orange bushes for her house, and they're lovely, and they smell nice. So, And they're not too expensive. I just never really pictured – I went from, you know, lifelong New Yorker of 12 years. That's like a lifetime. Um, now I'm ripping up bushes and shopping for bushes at the freaking Lowe's and shit. <laughs> you're just like – you go into the Lowe's, you're like, um, where's the bush department? Can something you-, you never thought you would have said. <laughs> Hi, I where are the bushes? Like, I need to find a bush and then I can name it Kate Bush. Or George Bush. <laughs> or George W. Bush. George. I think George Bush is what you have right now. The yeah, best I have, bush. I have George Bush. I need to get Kate Bush in there. Yeah, you need to get Kate Bush. Or Bush's beans, at least. Some kind of middle ground. 
Orange bush. <laughs> it's just I just can't. Why is this bush even allowed to be out there? Like, what? Why the do hell? they make this bush? Who would be like, you know what? We should make some of these bushes to sell to people to put in, in front of their house. These piss bushes. Yeah, who invented like, this bush? I don't know. Probably like George the, Bush, <laughs> the British, or George Bush. Yeah, or Sophia Bush. We don't really know. <laughs> Uh, or Billy Bush, the fucking defamed, you know, Donald Trump friend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it could be him. I don't know. He's like uh, a, definitely no, a piss bush. They've been around for a while because I did a little research. They use, they're they they're very common in like old English gardens in England and stuff. So That makes a lot of sense. As we're going to come to find out later in this episode, the British love their piss bushes. <laughs> I just, I, I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. I'm still in this moment am shocked. Um, but you did, I don't know if I told you this before, but there is actually also honeysuckle there. Um, oh. Completely out of control. It's a vine in case you didn't know. I, I didn't. of course did not know until I moved into this hell house. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> you are learning a lot about horticulture though. I may say. Yeah. That's a, oh, that's yeah. a positive. Yeah, yeah. So this fucking honeysuckle left completely unchecked, just went wild, and it actually burst through the window in my basement. So it like the vine broke through the window, like wow. in a, a horror movie <laughs> where a plant is like trying to kill you. And so now, if you go in my basement, there's just like this one scary window where there are spiders, and of course, my fucking honeysuckle is just like burst through there so it's all like hanging down along the wall and i have to wait until june 30th because the handyman can't come out until june 30th to replace the window so every time i go down there i just like avoid that corner because it's obviously haunted obviously it's just so funny i didn't even it's crazy because it didn't even it didn't like break the window which i think would be impossible i don't know i'm just picturing it like having you know being sentient but it like burst through the frame of the window. So the whole window has to be replaced. It's just wow. nutty. God, honeysuckle, what's your problem? What's the um, deal? You live in some kind of haunted greenhouse, but yeah, and I have it one is more very funny. fun apartment update. So I went underneath my sink in my kitchen to clean it out so I could put stuff down there. And I noticed that the wood board underneath the sink is like completely water damaged and like rotted out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is also what where the mice appear to have come in. I haven't seen any mice since I moved in, but there was a mouse trap there. So I'm just like, and there was mouse turds all over. Right. So I'm like, okay, well, this is how they're getting in. Um, and so I texted my landlord and I was like, hey, also, in addition to the handyman coming and fixing the windows, we need this to get taken care of. And he just wrote back, meh. <laughs> meh? M-E-H. Meh. Meh? Like from The Simpsons. Yeah. What did you say back? Well, then he was like, well, just give me the dimensions of the board. I guess assuming, I assumed that he was going to fix it. But then I haven't heard from him. It's been seven days. I think what he was trying to do is get me to be like, oh, well, it's probably not that hard to do myself. So I'll just go ahead and measure and install it. But I'm not fucking doing that myself. Like, I'm not putting a whole new board in there. Um, You're already ripping out bushes and breaking the windows apart. I mean, come on. Yeah. How much could you be expected to do to this fucking place? This guy is just a real sack of shit. So and now I have to text him back and be like, hey, also, this guy's always like so busy. He's always like, oh, my God, I'm so busy. I don't know what his job is, but it seems like he's not very <laughs> organized because he's constantly just like freaking out about how busy he is. 
Um, and so he, I just have to text him and be like, Hey buddy, what's going on with the plywood board? You need to come put in my apartment. Um, amazing. Oh, and also, sorry, there's one more thing that I thought everyone would love to hear. This is a home repair podcast apparently now. We, um, a a fellow tenant is the one who maintains the yard, but Uh they're like the landlord. I was like, Hey, what's the schedule for this guy to come mow the yard? And he was like, Oh, well, I checked in with the other landlord and Kevin just mows the lawn whenever he feels like it. <laughs> so Kevin, what Kevin does is waits until the grass is way too high. Then it's really hard to mow. And he stops and dumps all the clippings out in the center of the yard where they start to rot and mushrooms grow on top of them. So I have to, <laughs> once he's done mowing the fucking yard, I have to go out there and collect all of his fucking grass clippings because he's a piece and of mushrooms. Shit. Fucking Kevin. I Kevin, hate you. Kevin, you're not doing, you're fucking up, Kevin. Also, Kevin is like kind of one of, sorry for all our Kevins who are listening, but <laughs> Kevin is like one of those names where I just don't, it's not even such a bad name. It's just, I don't really understand how someone has a baby and they look at it in its face and they're like, you know what? You look like a Kevin. <laughs> just yeah. is like a weird name. Well, I mean, Although Kevin Costner obviously is a gift. And then like world. Kevin McAllister from Oakland, you know, but sorry, oh. excuse me. <laughs> Excuse, Excuse you. Me. Sorry, I'm drinking a, a hard seltzer. <laughs> it was just and funny when like a burp comes out like that. That's so like uncontrolled. Yeah, it was just had it burst out from me, burst forth from my body. Um, oh my god! But yeah, that's so Kevin, funny. he's a, a dumbass, and also it's summertime. You really need to mow the grass at least once a week. And this guy, is freaking coming once a month. He's a real. He's loser. being a real Kevin. They pay him to mow the grass. So like he's getting paid to not do it. And I just really want to, I'm like, should I just start paying for my own lawn care for like a team to mow my lawn? By the time you leave this place, it's going to be like fucking Buckingham Palace. I know. (laughs) It's going to be like so nice. And then they're going to like, they're going to tell you they're tearing it down. Yeah. (laughs) Like we have to tear this down. We're just going to send it right into the sea. You just like pack your bushes in your suitcase and then leave. <laughs> if I fucking get new bushes for this fucking house, I am taking. My cousin was like, "You better take those with you when you leave." And I was like, "Sure, I'll just throw them in the moving truck. Whatever, it's fine." <laughs> you just put them in like that like stick with a bandana tied on it. <laughs> yeah, it's just full of a couple of giant bushes. <laughs> well, this is hilarious. But should we get into our topic for today, which everybody I know is on the edge of their seat waiting to hear because it's part two of. The most interesting thing two people could talk about. Tea. 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 That's right. Tea. tea. Okay, you guys. A I drink know. that is fine, but not You've as been, good as coffee. You guys have been begging us and begging us to do this topic, and then we finally caved in. Uh, You're tweeting at us. You're TikToking all about it. You're getting at us on our Instagram and our Napster and our Grinder profiles. Please, please talk about tea two, two times. <laughs> two, <laughs> not two times. But two times. So you are getting two full hours of tea content for free. Yep. Just when you thought you didn't want to hear any more about tea. You're wrong. You do. You were wrong. Yeah. You do want to hear more. Um, (laughs) So I'm today going to talk to you about, well, I really wanted to talk about twisted tea and alcoholic teas in general, but there's not actually very much information out there about them. And there is very little to any, what I would imagine there should be, which needs to happen. This is a niche. So all the journalists out there, but there needs to be like a history of hard 
iced tea and why it exists and why, you know, what it's, what's the deal with it, but there's not out there. So I have a little bit of information about that, but I also had to flush this out. So I did just iced tea in general. So iced tea, the wrapper. No, the, the cool, cool beverage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've heard of it. So let's just dive right in here, guys. Um, in let's, we're going to travel back in time here. Okay. So picture yourself in the 1800s. I look amazing. (laughs) I look amazing. You look really good. You're not allowed to vote, but it's chill. Who Um, cares? I have 10 (laughs) pairs of underwear on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It takes you an hour and a half to get dressed every day. Um, (laughs) But what you don't have is any ice. There's no ice around because ice was a luxury. Um, Basically, the northern areas... Where, there, where it gets cold in the winter, they would harvest ice from frozen lakes and then store it with sawdust like so you could kind of have it all year round, but it was still like, you know, not everyone was just having ice. Um, in the South, they, nothing ever froze, so they're just sitting around without any ice at all. They're like, this is so sad for us. Um, sucks. But then, miraculously, in the 19th century, ice entrepreneurs <laughs> started... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Shipping ice to the South and to the Caribbean. Um, and then, like Americans love to do, they proceeded to dominate the global ice trade. So back then, there was a global ice trade because, you know, ice had to be, like, harvested, hand-harvested, and then brought wherever the hell we are taking it. Um, so difficult. Imagine, and it melts so fast. It's just over. For something that is so difficult... To yeah. cultivate and bring, it's just like over in a second. It's interesting. Yeah. It's also just funny to think about like the ice barons just like making all their money off of ice trade. Um, I All I can think about is Mr. Freeze, obviously. Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> like, Freezing yeah. cold winter ice, cold Batman. It's going to be cold a day in hell. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it's been a while since we, we used to do one of those every episode, ah, Mr. Freeze. <laughs> freezing cold. It's icy cold ice cream. Uh, please, <laughs> if you <laughs> please, when you're done listening to this, go ahead and watch the supercut of Mr. Freeze. It's one of the greatest <laughs> things of all time. Um so as you can imagine, until the global domination of the ice trade. People were drinking their tea hot or lukewarm. Mm, mm. <laughs> um, and interestingly, tea back then was mostly boozy. Like there was mostly recipes for it in punch, which is like alcoholic punches. Mm-hmm. Um, so tea was mostly something that people in America were just drinking with alcohol. Uh, they wow. weren't drinking it with non-alcohol. And in fact, the first recipes for non-alcoholic non-alcoholic tea don't appear until 1876 so <laughs> wow until 1876 pretty much all the tea that you're drinking had alcohol in it which is oh, wild funny. um and even in 1876 which is also the same year that the first recipe for sweet tea southern sweet tea appeared um it still wasn't super popular as a non-alcoholic beverage um mm. it didn't really catch on until the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair star of my favorite Christmas movie, Meet Me in St. Louis, starring Judy Garland. 
still have never seen it. Oh my God. It's so good. I know. I don't know why it's terrible of me. You really need to watch it. Although I think I mentioned this on the podcast a bunch, but my made my dad watch it last Christmas and he was like, I hate this movie. And I was like, who are you? Get out of my house. I asked my parents to rewatch Butch Cassidy with the Sundance and the Sun. Oh my God. Butch Cassidy with the Sundance game. With the Sundance <laughs> uh, That's the remix. No, I asked them to watch Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and they didn't like it. What? I love that movie. It's one of the best movies ever, ever made. And they thought it was boring. And I'm like, this is made for you. Like, Yeah, you're, it's for you, you dumb old. <laughs> I know. I'm like, why don't you? It was very strange. Um. So, spoiler alert. Meet me in St. Louis. The premise, I mean, really, it's about family. But the whole film leads up to the final sequence, which is where the St. Louis World's Fair debuts. And um, it was a real thing, and it was really hot. So nobody wanted to drink hot tea at the World's Fair. They wanted to drink iced tea. And so 20 million people came to the World's Fair, which is insane. To think about. Wow, that is a lot. Um, they all drank iced tea and they took it back home. You know, they're like going home and they're like, oh, we should have, you never guess what we drank in St. Louis. This tea is iced. And so that's how it sort of became popularized as a non-alcoholic refreshing beverage. Then prohibition happened and everybody was just drinking iced tea because there was no alcohol anywhere to be found. Right. Um, and until World War II... America was pretty much 50-50 on black tea versus green tea. Like, most people would like to drink just as much green tea as black tea, essentially. But the war cut off trade with China and India, so that all that was available was black tea. And basically everyone in the United States just converted to drinking black tea, which is now still the preferred tea of America. The last... The the less of the throwing up in teas, as we've discussed in the last episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 85% of all tea that we drink here is freaking cold tea. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah, We're not a tea. We're not a really a tea drinking, uh, society, which is fine with me. Tea's okay. It's fine. I like iced tea a lot. I love iced tea. And so do my fellow Americans. I like Uh, regular tea, but if I never had it again, that would also be okay with me. I wouldn't be upset. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I well, I do like chai tea, but. I do. I I like it too. But would you be like really upset if you could never have one again? No. Yeah. Not as upset as I am about the pea bush in front of my house. (laughs) 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 Um, And so that's a brief romantic history of iced tea. Um, Started out boozy, went non-alcoholic. And then in 2001, the Boston Beer Company invented twisted tea which is a hard iced tea. They're in Cincinnati, Ohio, even though they're the Boston Beer Company. Very confusing. Um, That is very confusing. They were just like, oh my God, we really need to invent a twisted iced tea that tastes like iced tea but has malt liquor in it. And so they did. And they have been the biggest (coughs) producers of hard tea, which is what it's called, which makes me laugh, um, ever since. Um, <coughs> sorry. Oh my God. I need some hard tea right now. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say what happened. You just drank green tea Ooh. on an empty stomach. So 
basically, yeah, it's, it, there is tea and twisted tea. It's like ready to drink tea. So it's like powdered tea that they turn into malt liquor somehow. Um, you could say that the ready to drink tea rage that's kind of culminated in 1993 sure, was, that was a big year. Yeah. So there, that's when Snapple in Arizona started their whole deal. And then the Nessie plunge commercials were all happening, which I watched some of those on YouTube and they are hilarious. Just very nineties. Um, my sister and I used to, when we would go to the pool, we would do the Nessie plunge, which is just like falling backwards into at the pool with your arms outstretched. Um, yeah. And you just like burn the shit out of your back <laughs> with like a nice hard smack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, so around this time, Firefly brand made iced tea, sweet tea vodka. So this vodka I was obsessed with whenever it came out, like 2002 really? or something. Oh yeah. I was like, this is the shit. This is for me. Was it um, I'm this guy. Was it, was it delicious? It was good. I mean, yeah, it's like, but it's, you know, it's really high in sugar, but how would you drink it? Just plain or <laughs> did you like mix it with soda? Just mix it over ice. Okay. So the thing about it though, is it's very like sweet and t- it tastes exactly like sweet tea. Okay. Um, so as a result, people would like, for example, my friend, my ex-boyfriend, his cousin, we brought some of it over and he poured himself an entire pint glass of it, but that's <gasps> like drinking a pint glass of vodka. Cause that's oh, no. what it is. What so, happened? He's got extremely wasted. Um, yeah. and he was fine the next day, but <laughs> he drank a pint glass of vodka. Yeah. That's a lot. Um, and yeah, I haven't had it in a long time. It, I, they get, they still make it. You can find it at the liquor store here. Um, and in my research, I found that people are predicting that hard tea is going to be the new hard seltzer because all these <laughs> niche brands are coming up with, you know, lower cause it twisted tea has a lot of calories in it. Like it's very sugary. Right. Um, so it's not really appealing to the people who don't want to drink that kind of shit. Um, but now there's a bunch of like little bougie, like hard teas that are out there that have low calories or zero calories that are supposed to be taking over this summer. It's supposed to be happening this summer. So keep your eyes peeled. Wow. Don't peel your eyelids off. uh, Like the guy in our last story who invented tea. Yeah. 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 So keep your eyes peeled for the twisted Hard teas out there, guys. And, I wonder if uh, that's where the expression comes from. Keep your eyes peeled. I don't the know. Tea maker. I don't know. It's, there's Good no question. way to find out. Call into the show, listener. Um, and that's that's really all I have about freaking iced tea and its alcoholic buddy, hard tea. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we will be back with some more uh, freezing cold tea content. This episode is brought to you by Gustiamo, the online store for ingredients and pantry staples from Italy. Gustiamo's mission is to improve the quality of Italian food in the States. They independently import the best and most authentic food from Italian farmers and food makers, wonderful people dedicated to their land and their traditions. When you're searching for quality Italian pasta, San Marzano tomatoes, and real extra virgin olive oil, Gustiamo has them all. Shop their vinegars, coffees, sweets, and so much more. From northern hilltop hazelnut farmers in Piemonte 
To southern sea salt millers off the coast of Sicily, Gustiamo works exclusively with small family food companies in Italy. When you shop with Gustiamo, you'll know that your ingredients are authentically Italian and of the highest quality. For our listeners, Gustiamo is offering a 10% discount on your online order with Gusti code HRN. Learn more at gustiamo.com. That's G-U-S-T-I-A-M-O dot com. So since we were, we're back now in case you were confused. Uh, Since we're talking about hard tea, I remember that I had one of these delicious drinks left in my refrigerator that my friends Jess and Trina of Dacha brought over a couple weeks ago when they came for dinner. And it's called June Shine. And the flavor is called Hopical Citrus. This is not an ad, but it could be June Shine. And it's like a hard kombucha, but what's inside is grapefruit, orange, pineapple, Simcoe, Cascade hops, honey, green tea, cane sugar, and June kombucha. So it's a hard tea. Yo, it's a hard tea, and it's delicious. Ooh. Listen, I'm going to drink it. That's it going down my throat. All right. Now, Nicole, that was a great tale of hard tea. Yeah, I know. No, I really was. I have some very dense subject matter to get through today. I'm not sure it's going to be funny, but, you know, it's anybody's guess. We could find a way to find some laughter in this. But um, I'm going to talk about the worst party ever thrown, (laughs) the Boston Tea Party. (laughs) Great. Which one? Mm. Not the political uh, group that we all know and love. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm a card-carrying member of that. Yeah, me too. I have two cards. Just kidding. Um, Okay, so I got my information today from good old Wikipedia and a New York Times article, called, which was actually really great. It was an op-ed by William Darryl Mopple. How do you pronounce this spelling? D-A-L-Y. I'm sorry. D-A-L-R-Y-M-P-L-E. Darryl I don't know. It's a tongue twister. It's a tongue twisted T. But anyway, it was a great article and it was called The Original Evil Corporation. So there's lots to cover here. There's the American Revolution. There's the Sons of Liberty. There is uh, the... Daughters of the Revolution? We are not going to touch on Mm -hmm. the Daughters of the Revolution, but we are going to talk about the East India Company, uh, kind of the original evil empire. So let's get right into it. So the Boston Tea Party was an American political and mercantile protest by the Sons of Liberty in Boston, Massachusetts on December 16th, 1773, the year of your Lord, not mine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So do you know anything about the Sons of Liberty? I'm not going to get too into it, but some of the kind of biggest people and like uh, some of the heavy hitters of American history are in this group. Um, All I know about the Sons of Liberty is that they were all really hot. Mm. Some of the hottest sons that this country has ever had. Some of the big names were Sam Adams of the beer, Paul Revere uh, of the the ride, (laughs) Benedict Cumberbatch, just kidding, Benedict Arnold. Oh, no. And the famous signature guy, John Hancock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, though, because Sam Adams owns the Boston Beer Company, 
creators of Twisted Tea. So it's oh, all wow. connected, man. Oh, that's probably why they're like tea, Sam Adams, the tea party, <laughs> <Yeah>. whatever <laughs> fucking freaks are in the actual tea party now. Probably have some kind of issue with it, uh, involvement with it. Okay. So basically, like, I'm going to try to keep this succinct, but also why we should kind of know about it. It's one of the things from American history that I did know a bit about, like that it was basically the thing that started the American Revolution uh, or one of the major catalysts for the American Revolution. But I didn't know the kind of intimate details of it. And it's mostly interesting, I think, especially to folks like you and I, though, because it's, you know, the uh, East India Company was like the one of the first big, like too big to fail major corporations who had such a negative capitalist, horrible, uh, imperialist fucking colonist effect on the world and kind of, you know, shaped the way. And so this is all very, I have like very mixed feelings about the people, like the Sons of Liberty and about the Tea Party in general. But so do you know anything about the Tea Party? I mean, I know what happened. Right, right, And, you know, I learned about it in, like, fourth grade or something. Right. I knew the broad strokes of it as well, but I didn't really know much about it. So I am going to go into detail. So the British basically passed, like, a bunch of different taxes on the colonists, um, and they refused to pay certain taxes. They argued, and this was the major thing of of the Sons of Liberty in general, they argued that they shouldn't be held accountable for taxes that were imposed upon them from, you know, a country that was a, a ruling parliament that was so far away, which the motto was coined that we all know and love, uh, no taxation without representation. Love that. Which was, which has been bastardized by the current kind of members of, you know, the, the Tea Party and the GOP. It, in essence, makes sense, right? Like, you don't want to be taxed if you're not having any reason, you know what I mean, by some kind of far... and. We can still apply it today, though, but not from the people who might be, like, thinking it applies to them. But for people, like, who live in poverty, for people who are forgotten about by the system, like, you know, it's terrible to be taxed without any proper representation. So, in essence, it makes sense. Yes. Um, The target was the, of the, like, Tea Party was the Tea Act of May 10th, 1773, which had allowed the British East India Company to sell tea from China in American colonies without paying taxes apart from those imposed by the Townshend Townshend Acts. So the Townshend Acts, again, without getting too deeply into it, was like a just list of acts which were imposing kind of really unfair taxes on the It's like Pete Townshend. Exactly. Pete Townshend from The Who was the one who... (laughs) He's like, you know, time travel is real, as I mentioned. He's earlier. like, let my love open the door to your tea. <laughs> to your tea taxes. <laughs> <laughs> so the Sons of Liberty strongly opposed the Townshend Acts um, as a violation of their rights. And, you know, it's true. Um, they had been taxing everything else besides the tea, like paper and really like everything had major taxes on it. Um, but tea was kind of the last uh, stand like thing that they were really paying a lot of taxes on. So, and we're going to go back now to 1765. The British government realizes that they need money to afford the 10,000 officers and soldiers living in the colonies and intended that the colonists living there should be the ones to contribute to it. Much like today, how our fucking tax dollars go to pay the police who then, you know, we all know what the police do, don't we? Oh, yeah. Folks. They live in Long Island. 
They live in fucking Suffolk County, Long Island, and uh, they're terrible. And it's the irony in the fact that the same people have to pay their taxes who they feel like it's okay to just harass and kill. And it's, uh, it is really fucked up. So by late 1772, now we're going back to the year before the Tea Party, the East India Company, one of Britain's most important commercial institutions, was in serious financial crisis. Now, the East India Company was one of the worst corporations ever. And I'm going to get into a little bit about what they did, but think of it like this, like they were a company, but like a large corporation, like the largest corporation, but they were, they had their own like army. So it would kind of be like Amazon or Starbucks also having their own army. They had their own army? Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fucked up. Um, There was a severe famine in Bengal from 1769 to 1773, which was like a direct result of the East India Company forcing the Bengali people to do things like over-farm poppy because there was like a huge opium trade, which led to the opium wars. But it was because of like all the things that they were forcing them to do that like ruined their crops and caused the famine. Plus there was like a terrible drought and it killed over a million people. Oh my God. Yeah. So the official report the following year foresaw the company's financial problems could potentially drag down the uh, drag the government down into unfathomable abyss. Sound familiar? And worried yes. that this cursed company uh, would at last, like a viper, be the destruction of the country which fostered it uh, at its bosom. That is from the New York Times op-ed. Um, so there was, as you mentioned... In our last episode, smuggling of tea was a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Um, think the Pirates of the Caribbean. My main question in this whole fucking thing is, like, tea's fine. It's okay. Like, isn't this good that it's, like, <laughs> worth all this fucking drama for tea? Yeah, but Honestly. in the 1800s, there wasn't, like, a bunch of other stuff to drink. You know what I'm saying? There was, like, milk, water, beer, tea. That's it. I know, but it just seems, like, outrageous that, like... <laughs> All of this, like, murder and fucking piracy and all this stuff is happening because of fucking tea. To me, it seems strange. I'm not a tea lover. I guess if you're someone who really (laughs) loves tea, maybe it makes more sense to you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So anyway, all of this tea smuggling, all of the famine and the drought had drastically reduced the revenue from the East India Company. Um, and as I said, they were like on the verge of bankruptcy and the taxes collected from the Townshend duty was used to pay the salaries of the governors and judges. So there was a lot of corruption going on in there. Um, the, this was actually like the reason they had the Townshend tax. Previously, the officials had been paid for by the colonial assemblies, but Parliament now paid their salaries to keep them dependent on the British government rather than allowing them to be accountable to the colonists. Um, they could have, at this point, when they were on faced with bankruptcy, um, paid uh, sold the tea cheaply back to Europe. But the issue with them was they were like, it's just going to be smuggled. So that's when they implemented uh, the Tea Act in May of 1773. So the Act restored the East India Company's full refund on the duty for importing the tea to Britain and also permitted the company for the first time to export the tea to the colony on its own account. This would allow the company to reduce costs by eliminating the middlemen who brought the tea wholesale at auctions in London. The company now appointed colonial merchants to receive the tea on consignment. The consignees would turn and sell the tea for a commission. 
In July 1773, a tea consignee was selected for New York, Philadelphia, Boston, and Charleston. Now, this is just important because it kind of sets up the situation for, like, what all the fuss was about when the tea was, like, ultimately delivered. Basically, like, nobody wanted to take it and whatever. It was just, like, a big fucking to-do. Um <laughs> And this whole thing is essentially, like, in case anyone's lost me at this point, it was essentially, like, set up so that the colonists would bail out the East India Company because they had too much tea that they weren't selling and they were being undercut by smugglers. So their plan is to, like, um, meet meet the smuggled price of tea and then they get the East India Company and the British Parliament gets a tax refund, essentially, on that. And so the colonists are like, this is fucking bullshit, which it is bullshit. It's the same bullshit that happens today. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? With like corporate tax loopholes and all of that. So in 1772, legally imported Boea tea was the most common variety of tea. It was sold for about three shillings per pound. After the Tea Act, colonial consignees would be able to sell it for two shillings per pound, just under the smuggler's price of two shillings, one penny. Um, realizing the payment of the Townshend Act duty was politically sensitive, the company hoped to conceal the tax by making arrangements to have it paid either by London once the tea was landed in the colonies or to have the consignees quietly pay the duties once the tea was sold. This effort to hide the tax from the colonists was unsuccessful, and thus the uproar happened. So... Uh, the ships were boarded by the sons of uh, the ships that got boarded by the sons of liberty were the Beaver, the Dartmouth, and the Eleanor. And there was another ship I can't remember the name that crashed actually on its way, so it never. <laughs> I know, right? It got like stranded on the rocks. I don't know if anyone died in it or whatever, but the ships had been turned away. Like they tried to um, pull in to Philly in New York, and they were like, "Nah, dog, like you can't land here with your fucking tea. Like we don't, we're not like down for this. And like, if we turn you away, you can't, you know, none of this, it's all kind of null and void. And you just have to go back with like your head in your hands and you lose all your tea. But the governor of Massachusetts at the time was very dorky and like a rule follower. And so (laughs) he was like, no, no, it's cool. Like park here. You guys, you can park here. It's totally fine. It's totally cool. Just, just park here. So two of the ships were primarily whaling vessels, and after delivering valuable shipments of sperm whale oil and yeah. brain matter to London, the ships were loaded with tea en route to the colonies. Although not British, some of the ships were had American owners um, and were Tory sympathizers. So once they land, they have 20 days to unload the unsold merchandise. Otherwise, it gets, like, seized by customs, essentially, and then, like, the whole thing has to go down. Um, and the governor could have turned him away at any point, but he refused to do that. So that's why this whole thing got so, like, outrageous. Um, so then the Sons of Liberty, basically, like, it gets down to the wire. There's plenty of time where the governor could have, like, turned this around and rectified everything. But they didn't. So um, on that cold December day, the Sons of Liberty dress up as Native Americans, like hundreds of people dress up as Native Americans. And they painted their faces and they wore uh, headdresses and all kinds of stuff. But it was very obvious that they weren't real Native Americans. <laughs> Why did they, is that just as a disguise? No. So I was like, initially that's what I thought. But this is their reasoning for it. The Sons of Liberty were crashing uh, cashing on the image of Native Americans uh, as an independent spirit, the epitome of anti-colonialism. By adopting that identity, quote, they were saying, we are defiant, 
We are unbowed. We will not be defeated. Okay, but so this is ironic, obviously, because then they would go back and just kill all the Indians. Exactly. They'd gone to colonize, but it was there kind of like, no, we're here now. We're like, you know, the original settlers of this land. And we're yeah. like, you know, it's terrible. I mean, it's just co-opting their culture to prove some kind of point. Very misguided and terrible, but. Um, yeah, it's very embarrassing for these guys. <laughs> it's it's terrible. I mean, Paul Revere, better Nick Cumberbatch. <laughs> what do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> So basically, they all get on this ship. It's about 5 p.m. They, like, jump on the ship. And by 9 p.m., they destroyed um, 340 100-pound chests of tea. Wow. Worth $2 million in today's money, which doesn't seem like that much, really, for a company. (laughs) I mean, it's a lot, but for a company— It seems like a lot when you think about how much tea $2 million would buy. Like, how many boxes of Lipton tea would that be? (laughs) I know. That's very true. Um, and it was private property owned by the East India Company. So the Boston Tea Party was a significant event. Um, and also, I want to mention that this was what one of the things that switched Americans to coffee. So everyone that night in Boston went home who had participated, and like most people were on the same tip, and they threw away all their tea. They threw it into the fire, I'm sure, not to like spread good luck for uh, poor people or people <laughs> living in poverty, I should say. But um, anyway... And and like, there was this one story of, like, one guy who did it and, like, he went home and switched the label on his tea thing and, wrote like, wrote coffee on it. And then, like, that's apparently this is a huge reason why, like, coffee gained uh, popularity, which is a whole nother huge, hugely problematic thing, obviously. It's for another episode. But yeah, um, the Boston Tea Party was a significant event in the growth of the American Revolution. Parliament, this is, like, the worst part. So... The reason, like, that it was such a big deal, like, catalyst for the American Revolution was because of how Parliament and the East India Company responded. They responded in 1774 with the Intolerable Acts, um, which, amongst other provisions, ended local self-government in Massachusetts and closed all of Boston's commerce until they had, like, paid back the $2 million. Oh, my God. Yeah, so they weren't allowed to do anything. And, like, a lot of other terrible things. Like, anybody who was convicted of a crime in Boston... I think maybe even Massachusetts as a, as a whole had to be tried um, in Great Britain. And so it was just like, it was really bad. <laughs> the whole state? Yeah. So colonists up and down the 13 colonies in turn responded to the intolerable acts with additional acts of protest. Um, and by conveying the first uh, Continental Congress, which petitioned the British monarch for the repeal of the acts and the coordinated colonial resistance to them. Um, and then the crisis escalates to the American Revolutionary War when it begins near Boston in 1775. So that's basically the story. And then, like, you know, I think it's confusing because it is a nonviolent act of civil disobedience. Nobody died, and they were standing up against the crown. But, you know, when we talk about, like, the founding fathers, and this is the issue, I haven't seen Hamilton, or but this is the issue I always have with, like, you know, liberty, and we're pursuing, like, our freedom and freedom from the crown, which is great, because, yes, Great Britain is evil, and especially at that time. But these people didn't care. These are just a bunch of, like, rich, white, self-interested capitalists. Right. You know, like, and they just, like, they were killing all the Indians and taking all their land. Exactly. And they wanted to, like, have this freedom... In, in the interest of capitalism and their own pursuits to, like, be richer, 
So it wasn't like, there was no kind of like community in it. There was no like, we want like all, everyone to be free. You know what I mean? It was just very like self-interested. So like, yes, the message makes sense. And like, I, in one sense, like I, I get it, but like, it's just the foundation for, I think like, you know, American fucking imperialism and colonization and it's bullshit. Yeah. It's all fucked up, man. Yeah. It's really terrible. So a little bit about the East India Company. I know we're running out of time, but I think this is pretty interesting. Are you are you still listening? No. Okay, great. Listener, if you are still with us. <laughs> the East India Company. Wake up! <laughs> and this is really from this New York Times op-ed, which I found to be very interesting, um, was the first big, too big to fail, evil corporation that invented corporate lobbying, amongst other things, and set the blueprint for what we have today as like, you know, mega corporations and conglomerates um, that are too big to fail and get bailouts from the government. So the East India Company, which was established in London in 1599, was authorized um, by its character to wage war. And from its maiden voyage in 1602, it used corporate violence to enhance its trade. So the East India Company also started like a lot of, you know, places in Silicon Valley as like a couple of dudes just like huddled into like a little room and they're like have, you know, maybe not the most evil of intentions, but you know, I'm not like defending any Silicon Valley bros, but it just grew into this like horrible monstrosity, monstrosity, like, you know, Facebook or any other kind of gross thing. Um, In the mid 18th century, the company began seizing by brute military force great chunks of the most prosperous provinces in the Mughal Empire, which then embraced most of India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and half of Afghanistan. Um, Then, like, move up to 1765, the Mughal fort of Al Baladad in northern India. Um, the defeated Mughal Empire, Shah Alam, was forced into what we now call an act of involuntary privatization. He had to replace his own revenue officials in eastern India with a set of English traders. Uh, the collecting of Mughal taxes was henceforth subcontracted to the powerful multinational corporation whose operations were protected by its own private army. Within a few months, 250 company clerks, backed by a force of 20,000 locally recruited Indian soldiers, had become the effective rulers of the richest Mughal provinces. An international corporation was, for the first time, transforming itself into an aggressive colonial power. Using the looted wealth of the Mughal Bengal, the company started ferrying opium east to China, then fought the opium wars to see if an offshore base at Hong Kong and safeguard its profitable monopoly in narcotics to the West that shipped Chinese tea to Massachusetts. So, you know, the author of this op-ed goes on to say, although there's no exact equivalence, the company was the ultimate prototype for many of today's corporations, the most powerful among them. These days do not need their own armies. They can rely on the government to protect their interests and bail them out. Every time. Yeah. So uh, just in closing, as something like to think about, the lobbying power of the largest corporations can even make or break governments. The Anglo-Persia Oil Company was able to induce a coup that toppled the government of Iran in 1953. This is a story that we should definitely cover. The United Fruit Company, which owned 42% of Guatemala's land, lobbied to bring about a CIA-backed coup the year uh, a year later in 1954. Yeah, the, the United Fruit Company is super... So fucked up. 
The International Telephone and Telegraph Corporation campaign for the ouster of Chile's Salvador Allendahl in the mid-1970s, and more recently, ExxonMobil has lobbied the United States to protect its interests in Indonesia and Iraq. So, all y'all who think it's okay to vote for a president who voted for the Iraq War, I don't know, <laughs> suck on that. Yeah, and like Halliburton in the war, man, that's all real messed up too. So I just thought this story was like deeply interesting. And uh, yeah, tea in the sea. <laughs> yeah, they, so they dumped all the tea in the sea wearing wildly inappropriate outfits that we get them canceled present day. <laughs> absolutely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so basically, the moral of the story is that Benedict Cumberbatch, you've heard it here first, has been canceled. He's canceled. <laughs> Um, I was talking to my friend Dave yesterday who was telling me, I'm going to, I meant to look it up, but I didn't, but that there was, um, a protest in Hong Kong about like taxation of like, uh, I believe taxation from France. And so they threw, uh, like all this French cheese and wine into the bay. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I know. But like, it sucks because like, that's so much better than tea. Delicious yeah, I know. Yeah. For you, but some people are like love tea the way you love French cheese. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You got to find someone who looks at you like a a wheel of French cheese. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> so anyway, that's the fucking kind of brief story of the Boston Tea Party. I also listened to a podcast about this that was really informative and really great. And there's a lot of them. And it's called History That Doesn't Suck. So check out that podcast. Um, I will. For this historical uh, event and more. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. Have you ever been to Boston? What are your feelings about it? I've never been there, man. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Excuse <laughs> me. Um, All I know about like it twice. is it's full of bros and brick and the bar is closed at two. Yeah, it's not really cool. My friend Jeff... Um, who also goes by Mr. Liff. He's from Boston. He's like one of the kind of hometown hero Boston rappers. And he's great. I've gone to visit him a couple times. But aside from him, and of course, you know, your favorite actor, Ben Affleck, <laughs> I have no use for Boston whatsoever. Oh, yeah. He knows all about the Boston Tea Party, I'm sure. Um, he's having his own Boston Twisted Tea Party right now. <laughs> all right. So we're going to talk about our top three favorite iced teas. Yeah. Mm. Go right ahead, Monfrey. Oh, I have to go first? Okay, but, Um, I like Honest Tea's little iced tea bottles that they have now, with these unsweetened ones. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. There's also a brand of iced tea called Turkey Hill. Mmm, love Turkey <laughs> Do you know it? Yeah, of course. Okay, yeah. They also make ice cream, so they're sure, really I know. anything they're iced, diversified. Um, and I do like Nessie, even though it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> they canceled it in America. It's still available in Europe, though. So if you huh. ever go over there, get yourself a nice, refreshing Nestle. Actually, don't because Nestle. they're run by Nestle and they are evil. Okay, great. Skip it. Skip it. Um, okay, here are my three favorite iced teas. These are going to be quite Long Island centric. My first favorite iced tea, my third favorite iced tea is um, 
like I think I mentioned it last week, um, at delis in Long Island, you can often get like a gigantic like iced tea or a half and half, which is like an Arnold Palmer. And they have them in those like clear, um, you know, like beverage cooler things where mm-hmm. they're like constantly spinning. And so that's great. And they're gigantic and probably have like 1500 calories per, but that is a childhood memory. And then they make ones that are even bigger. So that's like the large, but the like the extra large is like 64 ounces. <laughs> it's <not> a styrofoam <laughs> cup. You need like to get an assistant to like carry it. It's like too much. You can't do anything and like carry the thing around. Um, it's like essentially just a bucket. Uh, and then my second favorite iced tea. I mean, I have just such a special place in my heart for Snapple. I know we've talked about mm-hmm. it on multiple occasions now, but Snapple peach and Snapple mint and just like a regular plain Snapple. Delicious. Love it. Um, and my numero uno is one that you are not going to know, but any of my Long Island peoples will 100% know this, which is Dairy Barn iced tea. Mm. So Dairy Barn is like a drive through convenience store in Long Island, and they make their own brand of iced tea, which is super fucking dark. It's like basically like black. It's like the color <laughs> of iced coffee. <laughs> and it is so sugary and so sweet and it comes in like at least it used to in the greatest like simple retro kind of graphic design paper carton like milk carton Whoa. and then they made little baby ones too and like baby milk cartons and I think like one of the baby milk cartons that was just like a 12 ounce had like 250 calories in it yeah it was sure. like pure sugar but they were so delicious, and I used to drink that all the time growing up. That reminds me. I also really liked Starbucks black iced tea. It's really, really? good. Yeah. I've never had it. And McDonald's also has pretty good iced tea. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, I think we've said almost all there is to say about tea, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah we really, we ran the gamut. Yeah. Um... I hope I never have to see it or think about it ever again. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. Don't really. And I think our customers, our customers, our listeners <laughs> agree that we you should never do. speak of this again. <laughs> I'm sorry. What's that? A tea part, a part three tea. Okay. Okay. So we're recording a double up because I'm going to bright sunny Los Angeles. Although I guess I'll already be back by the time this airs. I was going to ask for recommendations, but I'll give you a recommendation when I return because I will <laughs> On everything. Great. I'm drunk from this tea, I think. Well, can you tell? That's very sexy. No, I can't tell. Listeners, can you tell that I'm drunk from one quarter of a hard six percent out six percent? That's not that's not too shabby. No, it's no. decent. It's decent. Okay, guys. For a hard tea. Asta la pasta. Farewell. Life's banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.